I am flying solo, which is rare and probably dangerous, <laughs> but I'm happy to be with you. And um, I'm excited to share just a couple of different thoughts. So we have a lot going on at Light the Fight this particular week. In fact, tonight, David is speaking um, to some middle schoolers here in the Valley. And um, when you're probably listening to this podcast, we'll actually be up in Portland, Oregon, um, doing a Don't Freak Out event up there, you know, coronavirus willing, I guess. <laughs> We're thinking that everything's going to be fine. Um, so it's just me here tonight. So I do have some things, um, some thoughts prepared that I wanted to share. And I'm I'm really excited about um, this information that I want to share with you tonight. And I want to give you a little bit of background behind it before I kind of launch in here. Um, and actually, I posted a little bit about this on um, Light the Fight Instagram. So I hope you're following. If you're not, I want to invite you on over to the IG at Light the Fight. And, um, and there we just kind of sh- let you know when new episodes drop. And um, we love to hear from you. And that's a great place also if you have questions or suggestions or wins, which are my personal favorite. Um, post them. You can post them there and share them with us right there on Instagram. So anyway, here's the background. A few months ago, um, I was contacted to come and speak at a youth leadership con- convention. Yeah, convention. What's the word? Like yeah, like a little seminar, like a little conference, probably a conference. And um, what I thought was really cool is that the organizers and the leaders of this organization felt that it was important to dedicate this conference to, excuse me, to suicide prevention. And um, I don't think they'd they'd be mad if I told you that their theme was, I matter, you matter, we all matter. And they reached out to me, asked me if I would um, kind of introduce the topic of suicide prevention um, in a a keynote format. And um, I thought a lot about that. I mean, most of the time, I feel the most comfortable talking to adults, talking about and from my personal experience as, um, as a parent of a child who struggled. Um, with depression, anxiety, and and obviously, ultimately, with um, the decision to end his life. But what's hard is that I, I don't experience that debilitating depression and anxiety. Um, I don't speak from that place. I don't speak as a professional. Um, And so I really stand in front of people with my story to tell. And specifically with the things that I've learned. Um, My my purpose and I guess the driving force between me, behind me even doing this podcast or any speaking engagements at all, is just to try to spread the knowledge that I feel like I've learned um, since losing Corey. So I gave this a lot of thought and 
I knew that these kids were going to be trained in QPR, which mm, now I can't remember exactly what QPR stands for. Do you remember it? Brandon's going to look it up for me. Um, QPR is a specific training for suicide prevention. Um, and Brandon's going to tell me what the QPR stands for. He's... <laughs> Okay, QPR stands for Question, Persuade, and Refer. Um, I love that they were that bold and that proactive with this group of youth. Um, but I also wanted to share with them some thoughts that need to happen before QPR kind of comes into, into play, really. Um, I have been through the QPR, um, training and, um, I think that it's really, really good information. And I think that everybody would benefit from just being in that situation where it's an open environment to have those conversations to use those vocabulary, to use that vocabulary, to open that topic as, um, as suicide is this important topic. Let's not, let's not not talk about it, right? Um, but before they went and kind of jumped into the deep end of QPR, I wanted to talk about prevention that needs to happen way before QPR is needed. Um, and we've talked about it before here on the podcast, and I want to just kind of start there. Um, the, the subject, the title of my presentation was Connection Equals Prevention. And, you know, David says it all the time. I repeat it probably more than David ever said it, <laughs> which is depression is the kryptonite. No. Connection is the kryptonite to depression. And, you know, when we talk about connection. Really, connection is the kryptonite to fill in the blank. It might be pornography. It might be loneliness. It might be anxiety. It might be fear. It might, you know, there's all of these emotional, um, mental health situations that greatly benefit from connection. So I wanted to start out by introducing the fact that just like maybe, and, and I'm just going to use the example of cancer. And, um, you know, w when somebody is being diagnosed with cancer, we're, we've all become accustomed to this concept that there are stages of cancer. And the earlier detection of a cancer situation, maybe in stage one or stage two, uh, the more likely they're going to be able to treat that situation with a less invasive or, you know, their risk is lower, their chances of survival are higher. Um, and that doesn't mean that when somebody is diagnosed in a higher stage of cancer that they, that they can't even recover or um, become in remission because you know, we've all heard those stories well. But 
if somebody is diagnosed in that fourth stage, then it is a dire crisis situation where all, you know, the team has to be called in. I want to compare that, um, obviously, gently, because, you know, this cancer and suicide are, are very different. We all know that. But I want to compare it because the sooner that we deal with difficult issues and situations, the more likelihood we have of being able to understand it, be aware of it, deal with it in super proactive ways. And I'm, I'm going to say the word normalize that situation within your household or within your family, within your circle of influence. Um, so I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with the fact that I was speaking to teenagers. And, um, and after I share with you what I shared with them, um, I'm going to tell you what some of the feedback has been since I, since I was there, both in real life and then also um, on social media. So I basically started off, of course, introducing myself and telling them that I wanted to talk about connection has and how that plays into suicide prevention. I always make sure that um, who, wherever I am, that we share my bio and that right up front, everybody in the room knows that I have had a suicide situation in my family. Um, that obviously is a very um, touchy and tender subject. I also like to let people know that I have worked really hard to be in a place where I can stand in front of them and talk. And um, I let them know right from the beginning, just like I would let you know, that even though I am not thankful, and I will never tell anybody that I'm thankful for what has happened, I am thankful for what I have learned. And I'm very thankful for the opportunity that I have to teach and to share about it. Um, so I start out and I usually put up a photo of a really fast car, a really nice fast car. And it's driving on the track. And the title of, of this very first introduction is Take Care of Yourself. Um, I always think that this is one of the most important things that, that, that I teach. When I go anywhere, I start out with you as an individual. Um, I thought that it tied really nicely in with their motto, which was I matter, you matter, we all matter. And so we ourselves matter. We have to take care of ourselves. And I just talked about how if we don't um, take care of ourselves and put ourselves first, then we can't help anybody else. And, and I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to go ahead and say the airplane mask thing because it always says, you know, you got to take care of yourself first and then help somebody around you. But it's very, very true. If you're not in a situation where you're taking care of yourself and being proactive about yourself, you're not going to be in a position to be able to help anyone else. So where does the car come in? So I usually talk, I, I'll, I'll show them that the car is driving on four tires. And obviously the, every one of those tires 
even though they're the exact same size and the exact same like make and model and um, they look very identical, each one of them is very important. Just like those four wheels on a car, we each have four, I'm going to call them wheels of health. Okay, just imagine with me. So I want you to kind of imagine four circles um, and all the four circles are kind of, they're crammed a little bit together so that they each overlap each other just a little bit. Um, those four circles are physical health, emotional health, spiritual health, and social health. Um, if even one of these circles of health is out of whack, we really have to pull over and deal with it. We won't get very far driving with one, even one tire that is flat, let alone, you know, four tires. Like if you were to accidentally, when it's kind of dusk, drive over tire rippers right after you have um, purchased new tires, about a week after, because that has happened to me. And I can assure you that you're not going anywhere <laughs> when you've just had um, the tire rippers. And that's kind of a stab the ball moment. I would say, I think that I'm going to give everybody um, a little bit of permission to freak out in that moment. Although the reality is you can freak out all you want. It's not going to help. Um, so I like to spend just a minute, and I'm going to do this here with you, and talk about these four circles. And what I did with the kids, and it was really awesome, is just kind of talk to them about um, what were some symptoms for them to know if their physical health, if they were struggling with their physical health, and also gave them a chance to tell me what some things that they could do, probably different in their everyday life to help optimize their physical health. Um, we talked about the obvious things like if you're sick, go to the doctor. Um, we talked about sleep. We talked about eating. Um, I told them that they didn't have to cut out all the chips and pop, but that just maybe they could throw in one fruit and one vegetable a day. <laughs> um, you know, sleep is such a beneficial thing in everybody's life and especially teenagers have a tendency to not care about sleep also crafters who sometimes that's the only time that they have to actually craft is in the middle of the night sometimes those crafters also don't care very much about sleep but then sometimes the crafters find that <laughs> things catch up and they have less stabbing the balls moments if they sleep. I think that there is a direct correlation, quite honestly. But um, sleeping really increases our abilities to function well in a health, in a healthy um, way. So we also talked about not using harmful substances like drugs and alcohol and vaping. And we talked about why that why that is and how it really affects our abilities to make good decisions and to feel 
good and, you know, all those things. I think that's always a really good thing to talk about. Um, statistically, it is a very high percentage and um, I won't quote any percents at this exact moment because I actually don't have my presentation with me, but a very high, higher than 70% of suicides that do involve substances. So substances are something that we really need to stay away from. Okay. So then we move over to emotional health and kind of talk about what some of those things are. And as I talk to the kids, there's a lot of things that um, pop up. Of course, depression, anxiety, of course, breaking up, you know, people are talking about breaking up with, with, um, girlfriends or boyfriends. And I was like, okay, hold on to that one. Um, testing anxiety, eating disorders, addictions, um, more serious ones such as, you know, um, the autistic spectrum, um, bipolar disorders, you know, there's a wide variety of emotional and mental health issues that um, people that we know, maybe ourselves, are are dealing with. And very much um, each one of these things is part of mental health. And we all have mental health. Um, and we all have to be aware of our mental and emotional health. And then we start talking about ways that we can improve our emotional health. And we kind of threw out some ideas about that. Some people talked about getting outdoors, um, exercising, being with friends, listening to music, dancing, ice cream, I think was brought up, um, you know, kind of those things. We then jumped over to spiritual health. And we talked a little bit about um, how I didn't talk about this very much. And sometimes I talk about it a little bit more, but we talked about how everybody's connection to God and the way that they worship their feelings about religion are very personal and that it's very important to be mindful and give people their space to figure that out on their own without judging them or trying to force them, um, and I just talked about how sometimes we can feel really disconnected. We can feel really uncomfortable when we're not at peace with our spiritual selves. So it's definitely something um, we talked about meditation. We talked about prayer. We talked about journaling, um, ways that we can really get in touch with that spiritual side of ourselves. The last one is social health. And I kind of asked them, what do you think I mean by that? And um Again, I shared that a very large percentage of suicides have to do with a social situation of some kind. This might be bullying. It might be a breakup. It might be um, feeling like you're left out, um, like you don't have any friends. Loneliness is in here. Um, a lot of in a teenager's life, their social health is essential. It is a survival. It is essential to their survival, to their happiness, to their feel good. And um, and we, I said, I want to go on in this next little bit and talk about how essential our social health is to um, prevention, 
to our own mental, physical, and spiritual selves. So that kind of leads me into the topic number two. And the title of that for me is Smile First. Now, when I was a little girl, um, my great-grandmother had polio. And I remember she was actually, um, in all of my memories, she was in a wheelchair. Uh, And we actually, like when I was really little, we lived in her basement. And then as I got older, she, in the summer, she would take turns having the the great grandkids come and spend the day with her. And she like would get out art supplies and she would let me make cupcakes. And she just, she was amazing. She was someone that I really, really treasured my relationship with. And I love to like, when she was laying in her bed, I love to like roll around her house in the wheelchair and stuff like that. One of the things I remember my grandma teaching me was to smile first. And she talked about how she got polio when she was pretty young. And so kids would always stare at her. People would always stare at her when she was kind of trying to get around. And she said she knew that people weren't trying to be mean. They were curious. And so she said that she promised herself that she would always smile first when people were kind of looking at her weird. And then she said that whenever she smiled, that people smiled back and that nobody was uncomfortable. Um, this has always kind of stuck with me. Now, whether or not I always smile first, I don't know if I always do. <laughs> um, but I do try to. And it was something that always was kind of in the back of my head. And uh, you guys have heard us talk before about David's smile experiment and heard us share a little bit about that. And if we all keep putting pressure on David, maybe he'll do an e-course about smile first or the smile experiment because it is really powerful. Um, But I was also sharing, um, I don't know. Okay, so this is... This is rare for me to actually watch and like binge watch a Netflix series. Okay. I don't usually do it. But recently went on a little girl trip, road trip, and we had the chance to do two nights of binge watching on Netflix. And so we watched this series called Cheer, which actually I recommend. Um, First of all, from the drill mom's perspective, it kind of is a little bit validating. (laughs) I could relate um, just having a child that was in a really intense um, performing sport. Um, But what I thought was really amazing about this particular doc, it's a documentary style about a cheerleading squad. And I love, I mean, we could do probably a whole episode about this um, series. So I'll spare you like all of my thoughts. But there's this one girl who is like the ultimate flyer for the team. And it really kind of delves into her past and where she came from. And um, she had been abandoned by both of her parents and was living in like, this is, I don't know if this is a spoiler or what, but she was living in like a, um, a trailer with just her brother. And then her brother left to go find work. And so she was actually left alone while she was still in high school, living in this trailer by herself. And 
she just, she talks about just how worthless she felt and how forgotten she felt and how she didn't matter. And then she talks about how even if just one person smiled at her at school, that it meant the actual world to her and that it actually made her feel like she mattered, like she was being seen. Um, the thing that I think about smiling is that it costs us nothing to look at somebody and smile. And, you know, as I'm talking to these teenagers, they are way more comfortable looking down at their phone. They're way more comfortable making silly faces into Snapchat filters and um, talking and smiling and joking uh, digitally, virtually, but very uncomfortable uh, actually smiling and looking at people in real life. And spoiler, this is a spoiler alert, part of what the smile experiment is about learning how to look at somebody and give them a very genuine, real smile. You know, not a salesperson smile, not a goofy smile, not an ashamed smile, not a creeper smile, a smile that says, hi, you matter to me. You know, you belong here. And that type of a smile makes people feel comfortable. Going back to my grandma's situation, when people were looking at her, um, they were really, they were feeling uncomfortable watching her struggle, um, wondering what her life was about. And when she smiled at them, it took that discomfort away. The art of making people feel comfortable is this hidden gem secret. And if, if we as adults and if teenagers, if coaches, administrators, teachers, if we can learn how to smile in a way and approach people in a way, and it doesn't even have to be other kids, it can be your server, it can be the gate agent at the airline, it could be the person that's bringing you your shoes to try on, you know, if we can figure out how to smile first in a very genuine way, something really amazing happens. And if you want to Google this, if you want to check it out, you can. Something happens when somebody smiles at us inside our brain. A chemical is released and I don't know if it's like dopamine or serotonin or I don't know, one of those, like one of those fancy, if David was here, he'd tell me, but it's one of those brain chemicals that makes us feel good, that makes us feel accepted, that makes us feel hope. That is what is released into our brain when somebody smiles at us in a genuine way. These brain chemicals are essential. They're life-saving and they tell us that we're okay, that we're accepted. And the more times people can be smiled at in the day and looked at and seen and get those little like spikes of brain chemical juice, the better. So be somebody that smiles. Even like, 
you know, have you ever been out there like at a stop sign and you look over at somebody and you just kind of either you have the zero face change or maybe even like the scowl or just like the slow head turn and then turn back. You don't want to be like weird. Try smiling. Just see what happens. Right? Try genuinely smiling at the guy who's pumping gas right across from you. See what happens. Something amazing will happen. I promise you that. Number three, this is really important. It's especially important for, um, well, I think it's important for all of us. And I call it support, support, support. And if you've never been to a rugby game or you don't know anybody in rugby and you don't know what to say, you know how like every sport has like a different thing that you cheer or that you yell at people? Well, if you ever go to a rugby game, you don't know what to say, you just yell, <laughs> support. And, and you can even like, Repeat it like, support, support. <laughs> and you can just keep yelling that the whole entire game. And people think that you know what you're talking about. Because rugby is 100% about support. I bring this up because a lot of times when somebody tells us something that is hard, immediately we feel like we got to fix it. Because we, we want to. We want to fix. We want to be helpful. We want to do something for them. We want to take away their pain because that pain is uncomfortable. And so sometimes like we've talked about on this podcast, we've talked about platitudes. Um, so sometimes we just say stuff like, oh, that person doesn't even matter or that kid's stupid anyway. Or, you know, we kind of say things to try to like diffuse it, which is, which is actually, you know, sometimes great. But the reason why I bring this up is because supporting when somebody is struggling means listening. And it starts with being somebody that people can trust and that somebody feels comfortable around. So you've smiled at them and now you can be a genuine person around them. And when they do entrust you with information, You don't need to feel like it's your burden to fix or to carry. Uh, this is, you know, I've, I've been shared, this little analogy has been shared, um, and this is what I shared with the teenagers, is that if you were out playing on the monkey bars and one of your friends fell and broke their, their arm, what would you do? And every single kid in the whole room is like, you take him to a doctor. You know, no questions asked. Not one kid said, well, I would splint it and then I would, you know, I would, I would do this test and see if it was really broken and then I would splint it and then we would wait for six weeks. No, every single one of those kids knew that they needed to, that this broken, that the burden of fixing this broken arm was not on them. Um, I want to tell you, and I'll probably come back to this as well, but being a burden is something that scares people. Most of us, and probably if you're being honest with yourself, you would agree. Most of us really don't want to burden anyone else, especially like if we perceive that we have a friend or maybe a parent that already is carrying tons of burdens. You know, maybe this teenager feels like, oh my gosh, my mom is already so stressed and already overwhelmed and has this and that problem. I don't want to add one more problem. 
a big part of being a support is to let people know that you are not burdened, that you want to be somebody that is entrusted, that you want to be somebody that is in that inner circle, you know, that you are somebody that can be a support. And then in that time, if you have been entrusted with information, find help. It is not your responsibility. And this goes for you moms and dads who are listening. This goes for your teachers and coaches who are listening. You're not a professional. And professionals actually know what to say and do. I told them about the Safe UT app, which is 24 hours a day. You can always get an actual practitioner that will talk to you. We talk on this podcast about teencounseling.com. And obviously teenagers are going to need parents to help them facilitate getting help. But then it's really a problem when teenagers are afraid to tell their parents that they need help because they don't want to burden them. So you see how this is kind of all coming together right into my next point, which is number four, and I call it notice. As a friend, as a parent, as a supporter, learn how to notice, start noticing. When you notice somebody is off, when you can feel that things just are not right, what do you do? Now, parents who've been listening to this podcast, you guys better know the right answer. That's all I can say. If you've been listening to this podcast, you better not get this wrong because the answer is not ask them a million questions. What's wrong? What happened? Why are you sad? Peppering somebody that is obviously distressed with questions is never the right solution. Thank you, David Kozlowski. And I am a recovering questioner. It is so essential. And this is what I, this is what I taught. When you notice something, when you are observant and you observe that somebody that you care about is down and is struggling, this is the hack. This is the hack to making a statement is state your observation. Seems like you're really down. If you want to talk about it, I'm here for you. That's all you have to do. Don't ask a million questions. Create a safe space. David hates it when I say safe spaces. <laughs> so since now I'm going to say it. Create a place. Be somebody that isn't going to force them, that isn't going to ask them a million questions. You're not going to make them feel defensive. All you're doing is you're saying, it seems like you're not yourself. You seem sad. Seems like you're not okay. Let me know if you want to talk. I'm here for you. Text me if you need me. I would love to listen. I'm a really good listener. Let that person know that you've noticed that there's something wrong and that you're there for them. And it might not, they might not jump right after it. But if you kind of leave that dangling, there is a much, 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 much higher percentage that they will take you up on it. The last thing that I shared, and this is the last thing that I want to leave with you as well, is to be a force for good both in real life and online. Now, this is a little bit of a, a spo- talk about spoilers. So many spoilers today. 
I'm going to tell you this first before I before I kind of elaborate on this point. But it is that at the end of my presentation, and also, um, so so several youth came up to me to to thank me and to talk to me, and then I also received some DMs from some of the individuals that were at the at the conference. And several of the kids said, what if I don't want to scare my parent? What if I don't want to be a burden? What if I don't have anybody to talk to? What if I want help and I need help, but I don't want to ask for it? This is where my heart broke, honestly. Um, because I'll bet you that there's more kids out there that feel this. They don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to talk about their feelings. They feel scared, overwhelmed. They don't even know what the word is to describe how they feel. They can't break it down. Their feelings are in a super tight tangle. Um, and it's all the things piled up, it's probably a lack of sleep and a lack of nutrition and maybe even a lack of exercise or maybe too much exercise. It's being stressed about tests, having anxiety about friends, about the way they look, about the way they feel, about the circle that they're in. It's about boyfriends or girlfriends. It's about the relationships with teachers and even with parents and maybe even siblings or work. It's about how they feel about God. It's about how they don't feel about God. You know, it's all these pieces that are just in this intertangled mess. And they don't know where to start. This is where the being a force for good comes from. This is where establishing yourself as somebody that people can talk to comes into play. There's a few small things that we can do. Number one, we can post memes or quotes or things on social media that let people know that we're about it, that we're open, that we're advocates for mental health, that we understand that mental health is important um, and that we care about it and that you care about others. It's really important also to not be somebody who openly bashes people or groups. Um, that maybe you don't speak rudely of people. Um, that maybe you're always, that you're trying to be as positive and as fun as possible. Maybe you also practice random acts of kindness. Maybe you notice somebody that needs to pick me up and you take advantage of that opportunity to give. Um, the other thing I'm going to say in being a force for good is tell people how awesome you think they are. Don't withhold any compliments or positive things that you think. As we establish ourselves and parents this probably, I would even extend this to regularly 
telling your kids that you know that they are in a stressful situation at school and in their environments and that you are always available, that their mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health are important to you and that you're always open. And if they need anything, please come to you. Let them know and establish often that your relationship with them is more important than anything else and that you are there to support and help. Let them know that nothing will stand in the way of you helping them with what they need. Let them know that you're not a doctor, you're not a psychologist, you're not a therapist, you're not a counselor, but you absolutely will work to help them find one. I think that, like I said, after after I had this talk and and I got a few, I had a few people that said, you know, thank you for talking about this. And I was suicidal a year ago, or I've had times that I was suicidal and I'm better now. And I really am thankful that you'll talk about it. And um, one girl wrote to me and said, it was really hard for me to admit to my dad that I needed help. But once I did, and once the awkwardness was gone, I felt a thousand times better and we were able to get me help that I needed. And so I know that, I know that it's possible to establish relationships with our kids, with our kids' friends, that um, make us somebody that they want to come to. We've talked on this podcast a lot about being a trusted adult. And by smiling and looking at those kids and making them feel comfortable, apologizing when you were wrong or maybe when you freaked out, um, owning your own stuff and taking responsibility for mistakes that you make, all these things are going to gain trust and respect for you and put you in a position where you can be a better support to those who who really do need you. Um, I wanted to share all this just because as I was thinking about talking to the teenagers, knowing that these are kids who are leaders in their communities, in their homes, in their schools, this is really what I'm explaining to you is what I wish I could be. That's what I aspire to. That's who I want to be and it's who I want my kids to know that I am. And I'm not perfect and I fly off the handle and I lose respect (laughs) from time to time and I have to work to get that back. But I want you guys to know for sure that as you establish this safe, environment, this welcoming and loving. And what I said to the kids is, do you have a welcome sign on your forehead? Do you welcome others? And I ask you that, those of you who are listening, do you have a welcome sign on your forehead? Do people know that they can talk to you? Take care of yourself. Smile first. Be a support. Notice what's going on around you and be a force for good. 
Thank you forever, as always, for listening. Thank you so much to 1-800-CONTACTS for continuing to support our podcast, our efforts, amplifying our message. And, you know, Dave's not here, but I really appreciate Dave for being on this journey with me and teaching me so much and supporting me in my own journey of healing, learning, and teaching. Um, Again, thank you guys for listening and thank you for helping to light the fight.